You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. So we've made it to Mark 11. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open it. If you have your journal books, if you just want to watch it on the screen, we've made it to Mark 11. And throughout this series, we've seen uh, that there are something called Markian sandwiches, right? And that's where Mark will introduce a a story, and then he inserts another story, and then he closes the first story. And and this week, we get to, uh, like, the most important one, the biggest one, the biggest marker one, and it's kind of a controversial one. Uh, If we just read the first few verses, as some will do to take it out of context, it seems, it paints Jesus in a poor light. Like, if you just look at the story, you're like, well, man, what's wrong with Jesus? He seems like a, a bit of a spoiled brat. What, what's going on here? But you got to realize that this is a sandwich. And so I don't know if you remember uh, earlier in our series of Mark, Elliot introduced us to the sandwich, to this Mark and sandwich idea, and he made a sandwich up on stage. And it was a good-looking sandwich, a, a ham and turkey sandwich, meat and, and mayonnaise and lettuce and, and everything. And I thought, okay, that was a great example of a sandwich. But this is the ultimate Mark sandwich. And so we got to be able to find the ultimate sandwich. And so I got to thinking, what is the best sandwich? And I thought like a a hot grilled panini. And then I thought, I've thought a lot less manly of myself after I said I'd like a panini. And so I thought, no, no, how about a BLT without the lettuce and tomatoes? It's just a B sandwich. And that would be a great sandwich. And then I ultimately realized the best sandwich out there, the ultimate sandwich, because this week we're at the ultimate uh, Marking sandwich is sandwich cookie. An Oreo. This is my favorite sandwich, all right? Uh, so we got Oreos this week, and Wade, you'd like an Oreo, right? There you go. All right. Who, who wants an Oreo? I, I feel like Oprah. You want an Oreo. You want an Oreo, all right? Carol didn't want that order. She's just like, I'm not having part of this. All right. Um, and so we got the ultimate marking sandwich here is this week. And like I said, you got to see the whole thing all together. If you're just to read part of this passage out of context, it paints a bad light on Jesus. But when you see in light of the whole story, as we're getting to this morning, you see this is a huge message, a huge message to the people of Israel, a huge message to his, to his disciples, to the Pharisees, and ultimately to you and me. And so, with that, we jump into Mark chapter 11, starting with verse 12. Mark is getting us through. Now we are going to start seeing he's going day by day as we go through the final week of, of Jesus' life, the Passion Week. And so, uh, he entered into Jerusalem, and now we've made it to Monday. The next day, Monday morning, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. I just love that little fact because it just shows us the human side of him. So often we just see, we think of him as God, which he was, but it's nice to see, man, he was hungry too in the morning, just like us, and so, and so it's just nice to see. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and a leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again, and his disciples heard him say it. Seemed like Jesus is a little temperamental, right? It seems like maybe he hasn't had coffee and he's a morning, not a morning person and he wakes up, this tree doesn't give him figs and he's just like, curse you, all right? But that's not how the story unfolds. As we will dive in, we're going to see this is a lot deeper than him being angry at a tree. 
There are some people that share, explain the, the meaning behind the story in, in a very naturalistic way that uh, when fig trees start to bloom their leaves, they also bloom little buds, uh, almost like little berries. These are bitter, uh, but they're edible. And this is the beginning of a fig. This is where the fig will grow from. And so if the tree has leaves, even though it's not fig season, it would have these little berries that he'd be able to go and pull off and eat. And so to come upon this tree that has the leaves but no berries, he knows that this is never going to produce any figs. And he proclaims as such. Some people would explain it away in that way, but I don't think that's the point of the story. It's not the object lesson Jesus is trying to illustrate. We're going to see that the message of, of God's uh, message here is completely different. And why Jesus curses this tree is a representative of something else. It's representative of a tree that looks good from the outside. From a distance, it's got leaves. Obviously, it's going to be bearing fruit, and so it looks good from the outside. But when you get up close, you realize there's no berries. When you get up close, you realize there's no fruit coming from what looks like, from the outside, a good tree. So he's going to transition as he reaches the temple to realize this isn't just about a tree. This is about a temple that's dead on the inside and looks good on the outside. Bill Heidfield had sent me an illustration talking about a Christmas tree. You know, many people have a tradition to go hunt down the perfect Christmas tree. And, and you go up in the mountains and you cut the one and you drink hot cocoa and you bring it back. Or maybe you, you just go to the Christmas tree lot down the road, you grab one. But either way, you come and you bring it in your home. And it's beautiful. Right, the, the darkness of the, the tree contrasted to the light, light walls just makes it, your room transformed and you decorate it and it's, it's just this beautiful thing. The smell of evergreen fills your home and it looks like this amazing, beautiful thing. But what we've done is brought in something that's dying. From the outside, it looks great, but that tree will never make cones. That tree will never produce fruit again because it's dying. While on the outside it looks great, and on the outside we want to bring it in, and we even will bring people over to our house, look at our tree, oh yeah, we picked that, let me tell you the story, and, and we, we're proud of the way it looks like on the outside, but on the inside it's just dying, and it's never going to produce fruit, it's as much as what we're going to see in the temple, or the city of Jerusalem, or the people of Israel, or possibly you and me, that we look good on the outside, but on the inside... We're just dying. And so we'll continue on with the passage. We dive in, verse 15. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. This is the Passover time. We talked about last week, the this population of Jerusalem triples in size. It goes from about 30,000 to 100,000. That there are pilgrims coming from all over and they're coming to worship at the temple. And the sad part is the temple leaders, the Sadducees, the Pharisees are taking advantage of all these pilgrims. The meaning behind these stories, what angered Jesus so much, this holy anger that came inside him, is he was seeing his people, the Israelites, exploited. They, they came and, and it was estimated that the temple would increase the price 16-fold for a sacrifice. 
So many people would come from far off. They wouldn't be bringing their animals. They'd say, we'll just get something at the temple. Jesus talks about even he overthrows the benches of the dove sellers. The dove was for the poor. It was it's about 25 cents in our money for a dove as a sacrifice. Now it's $4. They're, they're ripping off their poor. They're ripping off the rich. They're ripping off all these people that are coming just to worship God. And they're being taken advantage of. In verse uh, 15, we see that the Romans, that the money exchangers, the Romans had their own money and you weren't able to bring in a picture of Caesar into the temple. So you'd exchange Roman money for temple money. And so the money exchangers have now put out this rate that doesn't equal. That they're now giving you uh, only what used to be a, a fair amount. They're giving you half that for your temple money. And so again, they're ripping people off. Verse 16 talks about uh, he wouldn't allow people to come through the temple. Because what they were doing is the, the Gentile court, this outer court of the temple where people are walking through, where it talks about that this is supposed to be a house for many nations. The Gentile court is about 34 acres. It's a big area. And so people have to get from one side of town to the other. The temple's in the middle. Instead of walking around, instead of respecting the temple, they're just cutting through. There's no respect for God's place. There's no respect for this place of worship and prayer and sacrifice. They're using it as a shortcut. When you see these illustrations, I can't help but think, do some of them hit home a little bit? Right? That the Sadducees are more concerned about money and wealth and material possessions than they are about allowing people to worship, than they are about prayer. Does that hit home a little? This passage, I feel this section in Mark is maybe going to step on a few toes. Maybe it steps on mine. That as we look at it, we see Jesus seeing this temple that's supposed to be this holy thing. is being abused. That people are more concerned about material possessions and making money than they are about worshiping God. That hits home for some. Perhaps it's those just walking through. That their, their relationship with God has gotten to be so casual, so, so nonchalant that it doesn't even mean much. That sure, we go to church just to check it off, but there's not a relationship. There's not a connection. Walking through the temple isn't this holy, amazing, incredible thing. It's a shortcut. Maybe that hits home. As we see this, Jesus is talking to, to the people about the temple, but I think he's talking to the people about themselves as well. He's talking to us. And as he shares this, as he shares this time where he's stepping on some toes, uh, maybe your toes and my toes, definitely the toes of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, says the chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. That verse is a chilling verse. Think about that. These are the religious leaders. These are the ones that are supposed to be bringing people closer to God, and they're plotting murder. It's a pretty crazy thought, right? These are the holy ones, and they're trying to kill Jesus. And it says, then when evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. So many pilgrims came, there wasn't enough places to stay in Jerusalem, so Jesus and his disciples have an Airbnb in Bethany, and, and they head over there. Verse 20, it says, in the morning, now we've made it to Taco Tuesday, all right? As they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from its roots. 
Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig, tree, the fig tree you had cursed has withered. This is the part where people say, man, what is wrong with Jesus? Why did he take his anger out on a tree? Wouldn't it have been more impressive had he, instead of cursing the tree, said to the tree, you will produce fruit and produced a whole bunch of fruit out of season. Why would Jesus curse this tree? And I think we see here, this is an illustration. And I'm not sure that the disciples would have got it there. At that moment, they would have just been wondering, wow, look at Jesus' power. That tree is now withered. And Jesus was right. He cursed it. But I think later on, as they're looking back, as Peter's relaying this message to Mark, he's connecting the stories to Mark. He's connecting the sandwich, the, the story that begins with the fig tree, and then purposefully we learn about the temple, and then we see the withered, dead fig tree. Because there's a meaning here for each one of us. The tree represents the temple. That it looks great on the outside, but it's not producing any fruit. That all these pilgrims come and they're excited to be in this amazing place, this temple. But look at it. It's full of corruption and sin. Maybe, like I said, that might hit home. That others might see you and think you look good on the outside. That, that we do all the right things and, and we say the right sentences. We look like a good Christian on the outside, but inside, are we rotting? Inside, are we just full of sin? And so, the, the, the passage is followed by Jesus' teaching on prayer. And I like this. Because Mark is writing to the people of Rome. He's writing to the people that the, the destruction of the temple has come. And so for many, prayer was associated with a location. That you would go to the altar to pray. That you would go to a temple. That you would go somewhere to prayer. And that's where prayer was connected with a, a location. And these Christians and, and these people from the Jewish background are saying, if the temple's gone, is God going to hear our prayers? Where do we go to pray now that the temple's been destroyed? And so Jesus has taught this to prepare them for that. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their hearts, but believes what they say will happen, it'll be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it'll be yours. Mark starts this passage of Jesus saying, have faith in God. Not have faith in our prayers, not have, have faith in what we can do, but have faith in God. God is the source of the answer of our prayers. And Jesus has taught us earlier that we are to pray that we would have the heart of God. And so if we are to have the heart of God and we're to present these, this request, God, make my heart like yours. God, let me see what you want to see. God, let me see the temple as it really is. God, if I'm the temple, let me see what's inside of me. And we have faith in God that he would answer these prayers. And it says, and when you're standing, when you stand praying, this is the active action of praying. When you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. It just takes this turn out of left field. Now we're talking about forgiveness, where this come from. We got this tree, the temple. I don't think it's that strange of a turn because Jesus is letting us know God forgives. Are we forgiving as God does? 
Because as we look and we realize that maybe Jesus needs to come in us and, and cleanse us of some sin, cleanse us of some addictions, cleanse us of some, of some things that aren't, aren't holy, he's not only going to cleanse us, but he's going to forgive us. He could forgive the people of Israel. He's going to forgive the people of Jerusalem. He's going to forgive you and me. And are we in turn forgiving others? Are we showing this love of Jesus? As I was thinking about the perfect sandwich, right? We got an Oreo. Uh, truly, this, there's not a better sandwich existed. Think about it. Wouldn't everyone rather have a big stack of these than PB&J, right? These are great sandwiches. But what's the one thing that would make a perfect sandwich even better? Anyone? Hot sauce? Milk! What kind of crazy person? Uh, never mind. They might never come back. It was a visitor that said that. I apologize. Milk! Milk! And hot sauce, I guess, if that's, what, if that's your thing. Milk makes the Oreo sandwich perfect, right? You got an Oreo and milk, it brings it all together. Same thing that Mark does in this passage. We got this Markian sandwich, the perfect one. We see the fig tree, that it looks healthy on the outside. Then we see that the temple looks great, but we go inside and it's full of sin. It's full of, of corruption. That is not what God intended. And then we see the fig tree has withered and died. And the reality is that if that's who we are, if we're being the temple, and we might look at on the outside, but on the inside, we're just full of sin and corruption. Death is coming. But who has the authority to say such things? This is the temple of God. It's been around for hundreds of years. How could anyone blast the temple of God? Who has the right to go in and overthrow the money changers? Who has the right to make a tree cursed and wither? And so the, the capstone to this perfect marking sandwich, the milk to the Oreo, is the passage that follows. They, the Pharisees begin to question Jesus' authority. They arrived again in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things? They asked. And who gave you authority to do this? Jesus replied, I'll ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism, was it from heaven or from human origin? Tell me. Well, they discussed it among themselves. If we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, they feared the people for, they feared the people for everyone held that John was a prophet. So they answered to Jesus, we don't know. Jesus said, neither will I tell you what authority I'm doing these things. The authority for Jesus is coming from God. The only one that has the authority to overthrow the money changers, to, to, cast, to stop people from treading on the temple. The only person with the authority to put a curse on a tree and have it wither within a day is God. He is the one that makes us all wrap together. That this authority is bestowed by God onto Jesus to do these things. There's this idea of temple theology. Then in the Old Testament, we had the temple. It started with the tabernacle and then the temple of God. And this is where God resided in the Holy of Holies. This is where people would come to meet him. This is where people would come to seek forgiveness. And so you have this idea of the temple, but then when Jesus came, we see that Jesus becomes the holy temple. It says so in John 2, 18 through 22, the Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and I, rise it, and I will rise it again in three days. They replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to rise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. 
After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. They believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. This temple is Jesus and it is in heaven. So there's this new idea. We had the old temple in the Old Testament. Then there's the temple of Jesus in heaven. But then we have the spiritual temple, which is the temple of the church. 1 Corinthians 3.16, talking about the body, talking about the body of, of the church. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together, you together are that temple. We are the temple. But not Discovery Church. We and the church down the street and the church across the state line and the church in another country and this body of believers, the church that has gone from 2,000 years ago. We are all together part of this spiritual temple. It's pretty cool, Right? And so then we go past, we have the Old Testament temple, and then we have Jesus as the temple in heaven, we have the spiritual temple, and then we have the personal temple scattered around the world. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own, you were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your bodies." purpose of the temple, the purpose of that fig tree was to bear fruit. The tree wasn't doing it, and Jesus proclaimed a curse. Then he goes to the temple of Jerusalem, and he sees they're not bearing fruit, and he cleanses it, and he up and throws everything. What about the church, the spiritual temple? Are we bearing fruit? Are, are we setting an example in, in this Bristol area or, or all the churches together across the world? We set an example for God. What about the temple? The First Corinthians 6 says that each one of us individually is the temple. As the Holy Spirit resides in us, as God resided in the Old Testament temple in the Holy of Holies, the Holy Spirit resides in us. We are now the temple. Are we bearing fruit? This is a hard section because this hard section of scripture because it can hit home. We might be looking good like that tree, but on the inside there's nothing. The reality is we're not even bearing fruit. Are we willing to let Jesus come and cleanse us of our sins and our addictions and our weaknesses? Perhaps this morning that might hit home to you. That this is the morning that you know there needs to be a change in your behavior, a change in your relationships. There needs to be a change because you're not bearing fruit. You're like that Christmas tree. It looks great, but it's dying. You're like the fig tree, not bearing fruit or the temple. That it looks great on the outside. The leaves are in full bloom. But there's no sign of fruit. Would others see the fruit in you? Your coworkers, your classmates... Your home, those you live with, are they seeing fruit in you? Are you bringing people to Christ? Are you telling them about, about Jesus or living out a testimony, inviting them to church, whatever that looks like? Are people seeing that fruit is being produced by us? Or are they just seeing the leaves? Charles Spurgeon had a, a great message, and I even love the title. It's titled, Nothing But Leaves. And in it, he says, the great majority of persons who have any sort of religion at all bear leaves, but they produce no fruit. 
Are you a fig tree producing no fruit? Am I? Is our church? Is the churches across the world? Are the Christians? Are we bearing fruit? I heard this story this week. Uh, it, it just moved me. It's talking about the Christians in Afghanistan. And as we open this message time, looking at a prayer and talking about anxiety, I can't imagine what it's like for, for our brothers and sisters in Christ in Afghanistan. But a report shows that even in the midst of, uh, of the chaos and in the midst of what's going on, the church is growing. Christians are out and sharing. Because there's, there's many Christians, uh, Joe, Joel Richardson, uh, a teacher with Global Catalytic Ministries, shares this, that some are standing firm, some are still sharing the gospel. Some of our brothers in Afghanistan have made the decision not to run or hide, but instead use the few days they have left to go house to house telling others about Jesus. They're aware this will shorten their days, but they are knocking on people, knocking on doors and asking people to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They said, we don't care. We're here because we love this nation. We love our people, and we're going to share the gospel regardless, even if it means losing our lives. That are people that are bearing fruit. What are we doing in our jobs, at our school, in our homes? Like I said, this is a message that kind of hits home. It, it did for me this week as I was working on it. Am I just bearing leaves? Or am I nothing but leaves? Or am I bearing fruit?